0: Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. Thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe to our recently launched Substack, the Planet Microcap newsletter for free at microcapnewsletter.substack.com. I'll be sharing all recent podcast episodes from Planet Microcap and due diligence on there. Plus, every Sunday, I put out our weekly Microcap wrap to show the Microcap space has performed uh, compared to the broader markets based on data from the MicroCap Review Index. Again, to subscribe, please go to microcapnewsletter.substack.com. Now, for this episode of the Planet MicroCap podcast, I spoke with Ryan Reeves, founder of Infused Asset Management and CIO of Infused Partners LP. I'd been wanting to chat with Ryan on here for a while, but couldn't. we just couldn't figure out a time. And I got an email from him a couple of weeks ago announcing the launch of his public equity fund, Infused Partners LP. I asked him to come on to the show and we made it happen. Uh, we talked about everything from wh- when he got to start investing, his research as a service platform, Investing City how he got the Walmart CEO as his first guest on his podcast and of course his new venture my favorite part of our interview is why he waited to launch a fund until he experienced a market drawdown thank you again for tuning in to episode 236 of the planet microcap podcast and please enjoy my conversation with Ryan Reeves this episode is brought to you by Stream by Alpha Sets Stream provides over 300 expert interviews per week, and 70% of their experts are found exclusively on Stream. Stream is unlike any other transcript libraries. Stream integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Stream's community of experts and thought leaders Partner with Stream to build their professional brands and expand their industry influence. Right now, there are approximately 8,500 plus call transcripts available. For more information, please visit www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co backslash PMC. Welcome back to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. You can follow me on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. And joining me today is someone, well, here, it's Ryan Reeves. He is the founder of Infuse Asset Management and CIO of Infuse Partners LP. And I was going to preface that because I've been a fan of Ryan's got a great pot this amazing podcast at Investing City. Got some amazing guests on there. Um, really one of the up and comers in investing. And uh, I think we had planned to do this a while ago, but what better time is now? You're only launching a fund. So with that, Ryan, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. That's uh, far too kind.
0: Look, dude, I mean, uh, you've come a long way, right? Uh, how old are you now? You're mid-20s? Yeah, I'm 25. I mean, it's I mean, it's pretty amazing that you've been able to, you know, since launching Investing City, and we'll get into some of your career as well and what got you to this point and just now take making that jump to launch your own fund. So let's start there. Let's start from the beginning. Where did your passion for investing begin?
1: Yeah, so I was a really nerdy kid. I actually bought my first stock at 12 years old. It was very random, but I had a fifth grade teacher who... Uh, her husband was actually very passionate about investing. And in this teacher invited her husband to come in after class and <laughs> just explain, you know, stocks and investing to kids who wanted to stay. And it was like a couple of us, right? What fifth grader would want to stay after school to learn about something boring like finance and stocks. But for some reason, I stayed and we did this little competition where, you know, you pick a stock and see how it does over the course of the year. And, you know, most people do this when they're seniors in high school and economics or whatever. But I did it in the fifth grade and I picked McDonald's just because I thought that was, you know, very uh, just, you know, a lot of people go there and there's always a line or whatever. And the the stock didn't really do that great. And this girl, the, like one of the few others that uh, was in the group, she picked Apple and absolutely crushed me. And I was like, Whoa why did that happen? And I was just so confused about the whole thing and how it all worked. And, I just started going down the rabbit hole and and bought my first actual stock, which was Corning Glassware, because I heard that they were uh, making the Gorilla Glass for iPhones. And I should have just picked Apple. Um, I was already thinking (laughs) two two in the weeds. Um, But that's a little bit of the genesis. And I just love that investing is really just this intersection of so many different disciplines, you know business, finance, psychology, economics, history, and just figuring out, I I view it as like this big puzzle. And it's just a never ending puzzle that you can continually get better at within your own psyche. And there's endless number of businesses to analyze. And so there's always something to do always um, a way to improve. And I just really like that idea of constantly improving and just this idea that it's a big game and a big puzzle. Um, obviously there's very real repercussions with you know, our wealth and trying to grow it and make a better life for ourselves. But I also just view it as just very intellectually stimulating.
0: Do you remember at that time, I'm taking you back to when you were, you know, what fifth grade? What was that you were 11 years old, right? Yeah. Um, by the way, quick side note, you know, my dad tried, you know, he was a former investment banker for over 30 years on Wall Street. He tried to do the same thing in my fifth grade class, but because it was my father, I was like, I don't want to freaking do this, <laughs> right. you know, but I wish I did listen. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but. Side, side story. I'm sure I did it the same way. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. Um, but uh, take me back. Take take me back to when during that time, and you saw like your friend crush you. You know, pick an apple. You pick McDonald's. You know, what 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 was it that you learned during that time? Maybe that you kept with you. That you're like, oh, that's why I lost. Or did it have? Did it just happen to be timing?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Actually, I think. I mean first of all, uh, a bit of it was just Apple Apple was growing very fast, like way faster than McDonald's. Um, And so it's interesting, some of our initial experiences of how that kind of, you know, biases us, maybe it's a negative word, but, you know, how it influences us. And, you know, I I tend to look for companies that are, you know, very fast growing. And, you know, maybe that's one reason, maybe it's not, but I just... I mean, Apple, when I started actually looking at the numbers and, and figuring out that there was more than just, you know, I mean, the the Peter Lynch idea that you should, you know, always be observing the world around you, that really resonated with me. Um, but actually looking at the numbers to back up, you know, you could just have like a very active uh, community that is always at this particular store, but you need to be able to look at the financials and see, you know, if really uh, look at the evidence and see if things are there. And, I mean, just that's something that off the top of my head, Apple was growing so much faster. I mean, they had launched, they're really getting into, um, I mean, the iPhone launched in you know, late 2007, this is around 2011, 2012. And so they're really coming out of the great financial crisis and the iPhone is really ramping up. And so it was really just this confluence of a lot of different aspects. But I'd say the number one thing that maybe is a takeaway is just they were they were growing really fast and actually accelerating that growth. Absolutely, very good.
0: All right, so now catch us up. So, all right, you're hooked. You're in starting fifth grade now. Even before prior to the launch of the fund, which I think is supposed to launch August first, right? Correct. Okay, cool. All right, so we're putting this out. Uh, people should be listening. It's going to be August fourth. So, uh, you know, go give him give him a <laughs> holler. See what he got. Uh, he's got going on there, but before launching the fund, catch us up. You know, what, what did you do where you knew, like, okay, I want to be in investing. I want to be in finance. That's my path. You know, what, where did you go from there?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So I, when going to college, I originally was very set on starting my own business. I mean, I just, um, being interested in investing, um, since I was 12, I, I knew I wanted to do something with business. And I thought that, um, Really, business is, you know, if you can't invest without business. And so you need to know business before like understanding really investing. And I also just thought that, you know, like from a perspective of investing, just looking at these numbers on a screen all day, you know, is that like the most fulfilling uh, thing? Like, is that what I'm going to spend my entire life doing? And so I knew that I thought that like business and really serving people um, in that capacity would be, you know, much more fulfilling. And it's been a, a really long journey, but I've just kept coming back to investing over and over again. It's just my passion. Um, I just really love it. And I mean, it, it feels like complete play. Not, not, a, not a, I feel like I haven't worked in the past five years at all. Um, and so going into college, um, I really just kept coming back to the same idea. And so I was like, what if I just start a business uh, about investing? It's like, you can have the best of both worlds. And I was like, I gradu- So I graduated a little bit early, and I, my, my long-term goal is how can I do investing for a living? And I, the way that I saw that over and over again was a fund. And it's like, okay, so maybe I'll, I'll just start a fund out of school. But there was really two problems with this. One, I was tw- just had just turned 21 years old. Who in their right mind is going to trust a freshly minted 21-year-old with their hard-earned money? So that's, that's one aspect. Number two is I started investing right at the end of the great financial crisis. And so I had, I mean, there was a lot of little pullbacks, like 2011, there was it's uh, like SAS, a bunch of SAS crashes over that period. There was a COVID, um, you know, drawdown, but I really hadn't experienced like a really gut wrenching drawdown. And I, I thought that, um. It would be prudent for me to actually experience one of these and test myself rather than you know just saying you know you should trust me just because i really enjoy doing this um you know i had built a track record for like 10 years now and um i thought you know i was pretty confident in in my abilities but also i didn't want to just test it out with other people's money and just see how it would go you know that just didn't feel very responsible to me um but you know now in the past seven, eight months. It really has been a, a gut-wrenching drawdown. And I feel like I've kept my composure um, pretty well. And so um, now that those two things, it's been you know four years since starting Investing City. And that was just a little bit getting back to the genesis. I knew I wanted to start a fund, but there were these two problems. So how do you solve these two problems? And one was, how about if I show people rather than tell people? And that was the genesis of Investing City and just putting out my research as publicly as possible um, and actually built a sustainable business by just doing that. And that's kind of how I've parlayed um, that into doing this fund. Um, And so, yeah, Investing City was really a way to just build track record, build evidence and um, just show people that. You know, I have what it takes to to be a good investor. Um, and so that's a little bit of the genesis and and here we are, um, almost at August 1st.
0: Man, you must have some great parents, I gotta tell you, because uh wow. I I, I I'm a little speechless only because like I, I that is one of the most refreshing things I think I've heard from you know, younger, up and coming um fund manager investors saying, you know, I don't wanna Okay, I might be doing well now, but we've been in what a 10, 11 year bull market. Um, I haven't really been tested. Like, it's funny. I, I There's a few of investors that we know, we both know well that you always know, say, like, yeah, hey, you've been in the middle of this. Like, wait till you get a first drawdown. It's really amazing that you kind of thought to yourself, like, I, I don't want to launch a fund until like I've really, I need some pain. Like, I need to, I need to feel some hurt. Like, where does that come from? <laughs>
1: So, yeah, speaking to parents, I do have a a set of amazing parents um, who really just instilled core values um, from day one and really just this idea of thinking about others um, rather than yourself. Um, Also, my honestly, my faith is a big um, aspect of that. I mean, there's various Bible verses talking about put others above yourself. Um, And so just especially in, you know, like the, the world of money, it's just always thinking about you know, how can I get more, 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 but that's just really not fulfilling at the end of the day. I mean, you hear story after story of very wealthy people who are just alone and because they haven't really served others. And so that's really the, like the counterintuitive way of the world is um, serving others is really like the, the way to happiness, if you if you want to call it that. Um, but honestly, my parents have just um, really been a, a st- stabilizing force in my life. And um, yeah, so I'd say definitely those two things. Thank thank you for asking that.
0: No, I, I, I want to really, I'm really, I I really want to highlight that. I think that's really an important part of your story. And I, and again, just really refreshing. And so I hope if there's anything that people take away from this interview and flag, it's, it's that part that, you know, you, you wanted to feel the pain, you know, before, Mm. uh, you know, going out there and, and investing other people's money at the end of the day. But I have one question on Investing City because I have to ask. I remember sure. when you first launched it, how the heck did you get the CEO of Walmart as your first <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, come on, of-
1: <laughs> So it's actually not Tricks of the impressive. trade. <laughs> <laughs> it's not impressive. One of my best buddies from college, um, that's actually his dad. Um, so I had been over there Uh, so they live in Arkansas. I've been over there multiple times. And, uh, this is one of my really good friends. And so he did me a favor. Uh, He did not have to do that. He has so many better things going on, but he was nice enough to spend a little time doing that. So I I'm really grateful. I mean,
0: that's clutch. I mean, even if it's a best friend, like that's still like, that's still an ask, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's, that's good stuff. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) So, um, so another question that I, I, I have for you. Um, hold on. I, that I wasn't expecting that. That was really,
1: that's really funny.
0: Um, that's so funny. Um,
1: yeah, I wish it was a better story of like, I, I hand wrote a note to him and like did all these things. Um, but he's, he's just a really, really nice guy. That's awesome.
0: All right. So, you know, before we get into the launch of the fund and then actually going there and philosophy around that, you know, what were some of your biggest lessons learned from running Investing City and having this, you called it research as a service, you know, what, what were some of the biggest lessons that you learned?
1: Yeah, that is, that's a great question. I think one of the biggest takeaways is, um, I mean, just handling people's emotions um, and how communication is so important for that. Um, And so I've really tried to default to transparency, and I think people have really appreciated that. Like a question I get kind of frequently is, uh, you know, how especially during these you know past seven months, how has it been? I'm sure it's just been a pain because people are always reaching out and really nervous. Um, But honestly, it's it really hasn't um, been bad at all because I think it there's this uh, idea of self-selection and the way that you kind of put yourself out there and the way that you talk about things and and. Um, you know, even lay out your strategy, people can self-select into that. So if, you know, I'm, I'm chasing uh, different stocks and I'm just posting charts, no fundamentals, and I'm talking about a short-term time horizon, then people will self-select into that because of how I'm talking about things. Um, But if you're really intentional about um, being upfront about this is a long-term strategy and here's how I think about things and just being transparent from day one, um, I think that uh, you you get a certain type of person that you kind of deserve. I mean, Buffett talks about that with the spouse. Like you have to be the type of spouse that you want in order to get that spouse that you want. Um, and so there's really this aspect of communication and transparency that I think is a big takeaway, especially if we're going into a fund and how you know how you're um, how we're you talking about things. So even in the, the slide deck with my fund, um, I have a slide that says this fund isn't right for you if. Um, and so I'm essentially slicing off a, a large piece of, um, you know, the general population that might want to invest in this fund, but that's totally fine to me because if you're all things to all people, then you're really nothing to anybody. And so, um, I have a, you know, particular strategy and people that, you know, are obsessively focused on the mic, the, the macro and, you know, very short-term time horizon, not focused on fundamentals. Um, you know, that's totally fine. but That's just not the type of person that I want to track because I want that, that type of person to be highly aligned with my strategy, um, you know, rather than the short-term results.
0: I'd like to take a quick second to tell you about this episode's sponsor, Quarter. With Quarter, you get frictionless access to conference calls, investor presentations, transcripts, and earnings reports from markets all around the world, straight from your pocket for no cost. Quarter's mission is to change the way people look at investor relations and create a completely new bridge between companies and stakeholders. The first step on this journey is to let you, the user, interact with the company's content while you're listening. Visit your app store of choice and try it out today by searching for Quarter. And that's Q-U-A-R-T-R. Now back to the show. Very good. All right. So let's let's get to let's get to the fun and the launch of it. So you're going to laugh when I ask you this. All right. Why, why did you decide to start a fund versus, you know, maybe just having a substack and just, you know, charge a subscription fee and, you know, putting out a pick a month or something like that. You know, why, why, why go this route?
1: Sure. So I, yeah, it's a, it's a super valid question. And one thing is that I just love the, the craft of investing, and to a certain extent, um, running a newsletter is really a content business. Like it's you know it's competitive out there, and you you're constantly having to think of you know new ways to market and retain subscribers. And if you're not pumping out content on a weekly basis, it you know it's just it's fairly tough to, to retain but clients.
0: In fairness, you're a good marketer, though. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you built up a nice following on Twitter. Yeah, I'm sure you you know you got some good guests in the pod.
1: So, in fairness, you're pretty good at that. So yeah, well, I appreciate that. So one of the thing is that I also, um, from the very beginning, I had really had this vision of two sides to the business. So one is for people who are, you know, you want to do the investing on their own. They're just looking for a little bit of research, and a little bit of direction. And then other people that I just got time and time again, Um, A response of, you know, this is great, you know, this whole investing city thing, but I really just don't want to spend, you know, all of my waking hours, you know, researching stocks, because I'm just, frankly, not as passionate about it as you are. And so I thought it would be amazing if you could have two sides of this business, two sides of an investing business, where you have the the content and the ability to give um, self-directed investors some research. And then also for the people who don't want to do it on their own, um, you could have a fund, and so that's that's been my vision from from early on. And I want to ideally run both sides of the business as long as possible. I know that there's regulation; you have to be really clear about different things. But um, ideally, I, I can provide um, you know a very low cost service to self directed investors, and then a little bit of a high higher touch um, you know premium service for investors that um, really just don't want to do it themselves. Very good. All right.
0: Let's get into the fund itself. What would you say is infuses philosophy?
1: Sure. So the way I think about it is the little tagline is we're trying to invest in the fastest growing, highest quality companies at the best valuations we can find. And so that's very intentional, even the the ordering of those things. So I'm really looking for first um, companies that are growing very fast. And that's because... um, if you have fast growth, then uh, you really have, you know, some compelling product or service, uh, you know, some tailwind, uh, you're doing something different from competitors or else people wouldn't be buying your stuff. Like if you can think of revenue as being broken down into, you know, a very simple equation, price times quantity. And so you're either able to charge a higher price, you can raise your prices, um, you know, pricing power shows that you have, you know, a, a product or service that doesn't really have many substitutes, or you're selling a way higher quantity. And that implies that you have a very scalable model, or you're doing something for lower cost or, or just something that's interesting. Right. But if you do that, like, without any ability to print cash, then it's not actually that exciting. And this, so that's where the quality piece comes into it because anybody can sell a dollar bill for 90 cents and you're, you're not actually making any money. And so that's not really that impressive. And so really the first filter that um, companies go through in my process are: is this company growing you know, faster, like very you know, top decile of uh, companies in the universe that I'm looking at. And then are they exhibiting very strong incremental margins? Um, And so those are really the two things I want, you know, that revenue falling down to the bottom line, because that implies to me that there is really efficient execution. And so if you have demand coupled with execution, the output of that is really strong earnings growth. And that's really what drives stock prices. And so if you can find companies that are growing their earnings really fast at reasonable valuations, you know, that's the Holy grail of investing. Um, Usually, you know, it doesn't all line up. Usually, if you find a company that's growing really fast, you know, incredibly high quality, the valuation is usually super high. And so, really, these three legs, you're ending up having to compromise a little bit on one of them. Um, you know, ideally, that's not the case. But valuation is the one that I end up compromising on the most relative to the three. You know, I certainly valuation is important in my process. Um, but, you know, if you have a very high quality business that is hopefully compounding for years and years and years, the valuation, um, you know, as long as you don't pay outrageous multiples tends to take care of itself a little bit. Um, you don't want to bet on multiple expansions, certainly. And so in my process, I'm, you know, most of the time betting on multiple contraction. Um, but that's, that's really the, the core, um, the outline of, of the, the philosophy. Um, and so I'm not necessarily, you know, all in tech, which tech to me is kind of like this superfluous word. I mean, back in the day, railroads were tech. It, tech is just anything that allows people to do more with less. Um, and so it'll have various functions and, and forms over the years, um, but it, it kind of ends up being more tech because that's where a lot of the tailwinds are. And, um, you know, as long as, you know, companies are innovating, then people buy those products because it's making their lives you know, easier, whether it's lower costs or um, saves them time. So it ends up being a lot of tech stuff. Um, But those are the the core theses, the fast growth, high quality, and quality really goes into like longevity. I mean, if you can grow for, you know, a year, you know, that's, that's great. But if you can grow for, you know, 10, 20 years, that is so much more important. And then there's so many dynamics of quality, Um, you know, this management team, the market structure competition, if, if the company is attracting the best talent. So there's so many dynamics of quality that that's, you know, by definition, the most qualitative um, dynam- uh, input to the process. Um, so yeah, that's kind of a, a broad outline.
0: Absolutely. So let's dig into fast growth and high quality a little bit. So right. on the fast growth side, you know, what is that metric that you're looking for? You know, what is what does fast growth really mean
1: to you? Sure. So I have a big database that I've built over, you know, the 10 years of uh, best thing that you know has hundreds of hundreds of companies, and so I basically sort those by um, growth. And so fast growth to me, you know it's very subjective depending on you know people's filters, how many stocks they own. Um, but fast growth to me is like fifty percent revenue growth. Um, and uh, obviously, you know if companies' gross profit margins are just absolutely deteriorating and gross profit is only growing you twenty know, percent if revenue is growing fifty, then you know that's that's a problem. and so I also, Look at growth, profit, growth, and um, so it's it's nothing super fancy of just looking at companies that, and ideally it's it's accelerating. So and, you know it's one thing to go from 100% growth down to 50% growth. It's another to go from 40 to 50. Um, and so one implies that there's some deceleration going on in the business, um, you know, whether a competitor coming in because, you know, it's such a, you know, it's such a hot space that there's so many competitors coming in and the other, you know, it could be the case that they launched a new product, um, a competitor actually fell out of the market. And so it's really context dependent. Um, you know, you could, it would, investing would be super easy if you just, you know, looked at a screener and said fastest growth and you get, you know, like a thousand percent growth because some biotech, you know had a new product hit or, um, you know, like zoom during the pandemic, um, or like, it, it's not super sustainable to almost grow 400%. Um, so it's very context dependent. Um, but that's generally a ballpark that I'm kind of playing in.
0: Very good. Yeah. Now, I, I wanted to get some, some context around that. Cause you know, you hear like, oh, we're looking for fast growth and all that all the time. Right. So we want to better understand, okay, well, what does that mean? Like, what does that percentage actually look? And then of course, over what time frame as well. Right. You know, so Yeah, Um, yeah no you're you're, exactly
1: exactly because um you know you could have a very sleepy company that you know is growing you know five percent all of a sudden it shoots up to 50 and you're like oh my gosh what happened you know maybe they just acquired a company and so you have to assess the company um that they acquired and and that growth or you know maybe there's some you know uh some event that happens that isn't necessarily sustainable, and so it's not a purely quantitative thing. It's just the the quantitative gets me in the ballpark that I can start to do the qualitative research and, and make sure I understand how quality is this growth. Um, but you know, a company that you know is not growing at all would be just a an easy filter out um, because that's the thing. There's thousands and thousands of companies. How how do you have filters that allow you to to best focus your time um, because Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just there. And ideally you can go through every single company, but there's certain companies that you can just screen out immediately because it doesn't quite fit um, your style. And, and so that's, it's really just a, a way of filtering down the universe so that I can best spend my time. Very good.
0: All right. So now let's, let's dig into quality. You know, before, actually, before I ask about that, I mean, where, where does your universe of investable ideas tend to live? Are we talking small, micro, mid? Where, where are we looking at?
1: Yeah. So honestly, I don't even think about um, market cap that much. I ideally um, just as long as it kind of fits uh, my criteria. Like one thing is, um, so I, I tend to not play in the super small stuff because um like there can be very qual- high quality companies in, in the micro cap space. You obviously know that. Um, but it, it tends to be, um, you know, like.
0: By the way, just, whatever you're about to say, it won't offend me. So go.
1: <laughs> no, I'm not even trying to. to <laughs> no, I'm just giving you I'm giving you all the <laughs> time. <laughs> um, but that's all to say, like, as long as it fits the criteria, you um, I'm I'm totally fine. It's just most of the companies that I, I'm looking at tend to to be you know at least a, a billion dollars. Um, you know I've I've definitely found companies that have started very small. Um, you know there's there's been tons of examples, but they generally above a billion dollars in terms of market cap. And then I generally don't really go you know above you know like 150 billion. That's kind of a place, but it's you know that's incredibly wide range, you know, like ideally I'm trying to find between um, you know, like a, a small to mid cap company that is, you know, becoming on a, you know, on its way to to a very large cap company. Um, but you know, that I basically trying to say I, I look at everything as long as it's criteria.
0: Very good. And, and then and then okay, so getting on to quality, I mean what are some of the the your your qualitative metrics that you tend to look at? I mean, you know, if it, if the universe ends up being one billion and above, you know, then maybe you could get in touch with management. It's sometimes a little bit difficult, but you mm-hmm. know, so how do you evaluate uh, the business then from a qualitative perspective in this universe?
1: Yeah, so this is the fun part of really just acting like an investigative journalist and trying to figure out all your questions about a business. Um, so, you know, very doing the the basics, You're reading all the filings, reading all the transcripts, um, you know, assessing Different competitors, um, maybe talking to uh, employees of those competitors, just just trying to understand. Um, at, really, at the core, um, the way I think about the qualitative piece is value capture and value creation. And so, if you can create a lot of value, that is, you know, the key to business. If you're adding value to people's lives, um, then they they won't help but buy whatever you're selling because it makes their life easier. Like we're we're pretty self-interested beings at the end of the day. Um, and so if you can help people, you know, save time, save money, then um, you will you will likely grow. And so that's the, the value creation piece. If you're constantly creating value and the trajectory of that value has to be growing. Um, like a lot of people talk about the, you know, very wide moat companies that, you know, basically they're charging incredibly high prices because customers, um, like can't really do anything about it. So that's not really the type of company that I'm looking for because, um, to me, the moat actually in the, the very long term is a little bit more fragile. Um, you know, it, as long as capitalism exists, uh, people are trying to you know come and 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 eat those margins. Um, and so I would rather have a company that is um, really on a, a strong trajectory of creating more value because if you can create more and more value, then it's pretty hard to to disrupt that. Um, because it's, you know, embedded in the culture or whatever. Um, and so then there's, you can create a lot of value, but if you don't capture that value, then that's a whole nother thing. Because if you can't actually capture any of the value you create, then there's probably a lot of substitutes or there's something that's replicable in your, in your business. Um, and so those, those are really two of the things that I think about deeply. And so that, that really involves, you know, a, a deep study of competition. And so that's, that's one thing that I, really try to to hone in on and and try to, you know, if there's a lot of public competitors, you can read all the 10 Ks, read all the the transcripts for those competitors as well. Um, And so I really want to even know the competitors um, like, you know, not maybe to to the extent of the main company, but, you know, very, very well. Um, And then also just, you know, classic things like management, listen to every single interview by the management um, that's out there. Um, And actually this might be a little bit, Controversial, but I actually tried not to speak with management. Um, that's just something that I—I um, I know it's it's kind of out there, but I think that it actually, in my experience, has biased my view quite a bit. Um, because you know, leaders of companies—they're incredibly charismatic. They know how to lead people, um, and <laughs> I just noticed myself getting caught up in in what they're saying and and how they're saying it, rather than lining up all of the facts and figures. So that should just be one input, but that really outweighs um, all the other factors when I, when I tend to speak with management. Um, So that's not to say that I I don't listen to absolutely everything that management says. Um, So there's, there's a difference, Uh, but actually speaking to them, uh, you know, I, I want to be liked by them and, you know, don't really ask them the hard hitting questions. And that's just kind of my personality that I found that doesn't necessarily work for me. Um, that's not to say that that would always be the case, even for myself, and I, I know that that's a huge piece in, in most investors' processes, um, but that's actually something that I, I don't place a high value on. You know, I, I, to me, um, just how they think in general is, is really important, and then also skin in the game. Like, money money talks to me, and so I would rather have somebody that has huge skin in the game who, um, you know, doesn't, isn't the most charismatic than somebody who's always trying to sell the business and sell themselves, but doesn't own any skin in the game. So I, I spent a lot of time thinking about incentives and um, you know how uh, how management is thinking about the future. Um, but yeah, basically I'm rambling at this point. Like quality, there's so many pieces to it yeah. that it's hard to define um, explicitly. But you generally start seeing that show up in margins. And so if you kind of want a shortcut, looking at incremental margins can t- tell you a ton about. Um, you know, the quality of, of the business um, in terms of the operating efficiency, but then there's also the, the quality of the, the value creation. Um, And so I really think about the value creation as tied to revenue. um, And then the value capture is kind of tied to margins. And if you can really get those things dialed, then the the earnings growth will be very strong. Um, And so really thinking about those, those two dynamics um, a lot, and, and really just going down the rabbit hole. If you have questions, you know, um, you know how much more going back to the revenue equals price times quantity. Um, going, uh, you know how how is this business set up to to sell more of the product or service, and how are they set up to sell it at a higher price? Um, and so, really, just going into all the questions that that those um, that those two things deserve and, and the answers to them. So, quality is is a, an elusive thing, um, but you really just get this idea after going down the. The rabbit hole of, of trying to answer those questions
0: for sure. Sorry. I just had this vision also of you saying, yeah, I don't want to talk to me. And then like 10 years down the road, you're just like a grizzled vet, just like not caring, just like, why didn't you hit quarterly expectations? You know, on this, <laughs> like, that would just be kind of hilarious. Like, and <laughs> do this again at that point and be like, yeah, no, I now talk to management like every single time I ask like 10 yeah, questions maybe. on every conference call. <laughs> um,
1: maybe I'm, I'm super open to having my mind changed. <laughs> Very good. Um,
0: so in terms of some some experiences you know the not asking for specific stocks or anything like but if you want to share of course um and I, you mentioned how this recent drawdown you wanted to experience that you wanted to understand what you, you were going through and how it tested your thesis and your investing philosophy so i mean do you have any examples uh from that where you're like wow i not maybe I don't know, you tell me like some of the lessons you learned from that, maybe from that specific investing experience.
1: Sure. So, I mean, just the, the, the interesting thing about um, the past couple of years is, is, you know, how many different market dynamics there have really been. I mean, during COVID, um, there was a fairly large drawdown and then kind of the government backstopped a bit. And now we're seeing liquidity get sucked out of the system. Um, and so one thing that I think is kind of obvious but really important is just the like the simplicity of being free cash flow positive. you can control your destiny. So um, you know, there was definitely some companies that you know they were getting progressively more and more um, profitable, um, but they were still, you know compared to competitors, just not nearly as as strong on the bottom line. And you know that's that's great and all when you know the liquidity is flowing. but as soon as um, things start to, to get a little bit dicier then you want companies that will be able to control their destiny, and you can tr- control your destiny if you have a strong balance sheet and you're able to gush cash. Um, and so, frankly, that you just put yourself into uh, a much stronger position. And so, there were uh, a few companies that um, I invested in kind of last year, where you know they're still really strong companies, but um, to a certain extent, they they're able to not able to um, continually like get as, as much value captured from the customers because, you know, maybe they're undercutting a competitor or just not really able to control their destiny in the same way. And so that I think that's a, one takeaway just from this drawdown that if you have companies that you're buying at reasonable valuations, they're, you know, um, gushing cash, then, you know, it, it's all fine because as the valuation goes down, they can buy back their stock, they can um, incentivize, you know, the best employees that, you know, leave competitors because they can't pay them as much. Um, and so I really think that being able to control your own destiny in, in all periods and not getting, um, you know, un- undisciplined in, in the sense of, uh, you know, looking at that growth, but it has to be both of those, the growth and the operating leverage coupled together.
0: Absolutely. And what's your ideal time horizon when you're looking at potential uh, investment?
1: Yeah, so ideal is as, as long as possible, um, but it, it generally ends up uh, being, you know, between like three and five years. So not like incredibly long, but it also depends because just in the the arena that I typically am playing with, things are quite honestly changing, you know, more rapidly than if you were looking at a pretty low growth sector. Um, and so, you know, it's different when you're looking at, you know, software versus uh, trash companies, you know, like they just not nearly as many competitors are coming in and trying to steal your trash business. Um, and so, you know, those boring businesses can be really amazing and, you know, huge compounders. Um, but if you're playing in a, a sector that, you know, is, is growing fast and um, there's a decent amount of competitors that are coming in, quite honestly, it's not a, you know, buy and forget, you know, the, if you buy a. A software company, um, depending on the one it is, then, you know, you. ideally you'd want to hold it for as long as possible. You know, economies of scale kick in, switching costs, network effects, all those good, all those good things. But, you know, um, like, frankly, the, the barriers to entry simply aren't as high. And so you have to stay on top of the, the different um, competitive dynamics. And so um, if, you know, something shifts and I see a competitor that's much, much stronger and and important employees are leaving business and they have a, a few bad quarters, I'm, I'm quite honestly not afraid to, to change my mind if I feel like the, the thesis has changed. Um, but ideally, I'm, I'm holding companies for as long as possible.
0: Very good. I, and another question I have for you is, you know, you've been kind of on your own, not kind of, you've been on your own, investing your own money for, you know, last 10 years. Now you're launching the fund. Has, did your philosophy or your strategy Change at all now that you're you've launched this fund, you're doing you know, you're doing this route now. Did you have to rethink how you wanted to invest as a result of wanting to launch this fund, or have you kind of just been building to this point?
1: I think more building to this point, like the way I I thought about it was if I'm doing things for other people, you know, to maybe smooth out volatility or you know, make it make it look better from the outside, then I'm inherently doing something that I'm not quite comfortable with because I haven't been doing that for, you know, the past decade. Um, and so I actually thought of that as potentially adding more risk into the equation because um, start doing something, you know, like playing with leverage when I, I've, I've never done that, or I'm just doing something to um, really make it seem like, you know, you know, better to the outside or, or whatever. So I, it really has kind of been building to this point, but I've spent a lot of time thinking about how to relay the message and, um, just what is, what is in common with my, my strategy, just because, you know, I want people to understand and, and really, um, be aligned with the, the types of companies that I'm looking at.
0: Very good. Okay. It- all right, we kind of talked about you know an investing experience from this recent drawdown. You know what was an investing experience from leading up to let's say March 2020 that really you'd say you took a lot from. You know whether it was a win or a loss, but it just really influenced your your thought process.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So I think one thing um, that really influenced my thinking was um, just actually studying Shopify really in depth uh, when it ipo So IPO'd um, under $2 billion market cap. Um, and, you know, not really much fanfare, kind of this Canadian company. Uh, people in tech um, definitely knew Shopify. If you knew somebody who uh, had the little e-commerce store, um, they, they definitely knew about Shopify because the offering was really strong. Um, I mean, it had really high-quality VCs like Bessemer. Um, and so studying this company, and people thought that it traded for a ridiculous sales multiple, and I did too, actually. and But it was growing 100%, and um, margins were continuing to get better. They were kind of running the business at break-even, and the merchant solutions business was really ramping up. Um, until then, they had pretty much been a subscription-only business model. Gross margins were you know, like mid 80%. um, It was clear that it could be a very profitable business. Um, But what's happening is they're ramping up their payments business and it was bringing down gross margins a ton, and profitability was kind of getting masked. So there was these dynamics that made the business look, um, you know, from, uh, you know, like a, a quick glance, you know, high sales multiple, you know, the gross margins are going down, you know, really not that interesting. But as you really dug in, um, just it, it became uh, more and more apparent that the, the quality of the business was was very, very interesting. And, and the CEO is highly incentivized. And so um, I think that one, this is not a, a mind blowing lesson or anything, but when a company has uh, proven that it can have operating leverage and it's growing 100%, pay attention. <laughs> like it is not simple to double your business. Um, wherever you are, uh, you know, whether you're small, whether you're big, any company that is doubling their business means that like either A, they have the same number of employees and those employees capabilities have to get twice as strong every year or B, they're hiring twice as many people uh, or, you know, obviously it's a mixture of both. But being able to scale an organization that quickly um, and being able to do it efficiently is something that is is very, very hard to do. Um, And so that's not really a a mind blowing conclusion, but if you have operating leverage and you see a company doubling its revenue, just, just really pay attention.
0: (laughs) That's great stuff. All right. Close this out here today. I mean, what advice do you have for folks maybe that are similar to yourself that either, well, I mean, you, at one point were just getting your start, but let's say they're, you know, they're on that path or a couple of years in as a, you know, DIY investor doing their own thing, running their own book, but with, eventually dream of launching their own fun? You know, what advice do you have for folks that hope to get there one day?
1: Yeah. So I, w- I would say that it, there's really two things that, that matter. Um, passion uh, that you really love this. Cause there's so many people out there that love this game. If you're, if you don't love it, it'll be pretty hard to, to do the necessary work that is required to, to uh, excel at it, just because there are so many people out there that that really enjoy it, um, so passion. Just make sure it's there. Like I'd say, one thing, it's probably there if you're spending like your your Friday night uh, setting a company. Not to sound like depressing, or you know, like you shouldn't have a life. Um, but if there's, you just find yourself thinking about stocks or, or really looking forward to digging into a company, then the passion might be there, um, and then you kind of have to nurture that. It's not like I, I was as passionate about investing as I am now, right at the beginning, Um, there, there there's certain things that um, you just have to do a little bit more and that passion might grow. And so just thinking about like almost at the meta level, like where's my, the trajectory of my passion. Um, And then number two is show your work. Um, And so if you, if you love investing and you, you just, you know, can't wait to do it in the morning, just, just show your work. Because if you build up enough goodwill over, time like goes back to value creation if you're adding value to other people's lives um you know maybe you're doing like incredible research on some subsector that you really enjoy um and that like you become kind of an authority on that or you're just looking at so many businesses and putting it out there that people can you know get an idea of the business and then go deeper themselves if they want to um basically just just show your work because you can have this whole library um of stuff that um you want to do yourself and that's totally great. And maybe you're just a self-directed investor who wants to stay private and that's one thing. But if you do want to start a fund one day, then um, it it probably just makes sense to to start getting that goodwill and, and showing your work and adding value to people as much as possible. The number one thing I would say is add value. Don't even worry about anything else for like at least two years. Like don't even ask for anything. It's really just this idea of val- adding more and more value every single day. And then eventually um, things kind of come back to you. So like, don't even worry about capturing that value for uh, a long, long time. Very cool. All
0: right, Ryan, I think we're there, man. Where can our audience go and find more information about you, about infused asset management, you know, er- everything they need to know to follow along and get more information.
1: Sure. So I'd probably say my, my Twitter account is, is a good place to start. So that's Ryan Reeves, um, with the underscore right at the end. So if you go there, you can find a a little link where it has uh, branches out all to infuse and investing city and podcasts. And so you can, you can find everything um, on my Twitter.
0: Very good, man. All right. Well, Ryan, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. Good luck. Stay safe. And I look forward to our next
1: update. And congrats. Thank you so much. Wow. No, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for the questions. Absolutely.
0: podcast. podcast.